You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Listen, on your way in today, you saw two um, events out in the lobby area, one obviously for women, one obviously for men, and uh, I want you to be sure you go by that. Take some time, walk by that, go slowly, look at it. You know, if all you do is just come in here on Sunday morning, you really miss what uh, the gathering of God's people is all about. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a life group. You need to be in a D group. You need to be in a, either women's ministry or men's ministry. And I encourage you to do that. That's where you're going to build relationships. You don't get to do that in here. Um, but you do in these life groups and in these men's group and ladies groups. You get to do that. So I encourage you to do that. also encourage you, go by and pick up one of these little daily devotionals. And if you have the chance, the opportunity at breakfast, sit down and just do this very quickly with your family. Call all the kids around, have a cup of coffee, give them coffee, whatever you need to do. And uh, sugar them up before they go to school and do a devotional together. And then send them off. Good. Take your copy of God's Word and go with me to that little letter of Philemon all the way back in the New Testament. Uh, almost to the end of the New Testament. I don't know if uh, you remember Newsweek, but back when it was an actual magazine instead of just uh, online, Newsweek, uh, a number of years ago, carried this special edition of science and medicine uh, where they talked about, they had the big headlines on there. It said, the, the new science of mind and body. And then they filled that whole thing up with all of this research. The interesting thing is that one of the major sections in Newsweek in that medical science edition was this whole study of forgiveness. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in medicine right now, forgiveness is a big study. In fact, just listen uh, to what Newsweek said. Persistent unforgiveness is part of human nature, but it appears to work to the detriment, not just of our spiritual well-being, but our physical health as well. Now, that ought to get your attention, not just spiritually, but unforgiveness and forgiveness has an impact on your health. There is a foundation called the Campaign for Forgiveness Research. And I want you to listen because they talk about forgiveness and the way it works in two ways. One is by reducing the stress of the state of unforgiveness, a potent mixture of bitterness, anger, hostility, hatred, resentment, fear. These have physiological consequences such as increased blood pressure, hormonal changes linked to cardiovascular disease, immune suppression, and possibly impaired neurological function and memory. In other words, unforgiveness makes you a little nuts. It talks about this very thing, about the impact of forgiveness and unforgiveness. It reduces stress, High blood pressure, risk of heart attack, improves your immune system. If you harbor unforgiveness, medical science says 
It will impair you neurologically. Now listen, listen to this. And if you forgive, it improves your memory. Now, I didn't read a bit of this out of Scripture or out of something Baptist. I read this out of a liberal northeastern publication called Newsweek, and it was in their science and medical edition, and it speaks of the very thing that I'm talking about, and that is how good forgiveness is for you. And I want you to understand, nowhere in Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or any other faith system is forgiveness ever discussed. It is only talked about, and it is talked about greatly. It is a major part of the Christian faith. Now, take your copy of God's Word. Go with me to that little epistle of Philemon. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 because that's where Paul is talking about this central idea of forgiveness. Now, he never mentions the word forgiveness in this little epistle. You say, don't you think that's a little strange? Let me tell you what that is. It's called a literary device. You find it in the book of Esther, where the book of Esther never mentions the name of God. But everything in Esther is pulling you toward this sovereign God who oversees all events. Right here, Paul never mentions forgiveness in Philemon. Listen, Shakespeare does the same thing. You remember um, that soliloquy in Romeo and Juliet? You know, there's Romeo, he's standing out in the bushes, and all of a sudden he, he's watching her room, and he sees a light comes, come on, and he says, Hark, what light in yon window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. And she comes out, and she stands on the balcony. Now, y'all with me? And she leans her head, her cheek on her hand, and she's just pining there, and he says, see that face See that hand touching that cheek. Oh, that I were a glove on that hand that I might touch that cheek. They got it bad, buddy. <laughs> and then she breaks into Romeo, Romeo. Oh, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Not knowing that he's listening, he's going to eventually speak up and scare the wits out of her. Anyway, he never mentions love. But what are they doing? They've just got it bad for each other. You know exactly what he's doing. He's talking about their love, though he never mentions it. Paul is talking about forgiveness, though he never mentions the word here. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, we all wonder, how do I ask for forgiveness? How am I supposed to give forgiveness? Well, let me tell you, I'll show you something up front before I delve into the text, because I want you to catch this. I want you to, I want you to see this. You never can demand or order forgiveness. Paul comes and he says this in verse 8, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Now, what he's saying is this. I'm your pastor, Philemon. I'm the apostle, Paul. I could order you to do this, and I believe you would do it. But you cannot order people to be forgiving. I, listen, I know that as a parent. There were times I would look at my children, one of them would do something to the other, and I would say, you look at her, you tell her you're sorry, or you tell him you're sorry, and they would stand there and they'd go, sorry, <laughs> you know, sorry. 
Well, did they mean it? No, they did not mean it. They were not sorry. They were forced to apologize. Paul says you can't do it that way. You can't force somebody to ask for forgiveness. You can't force somebody to receive your forgiveness. He says, look, in verse 9, yet for love's sake, that's the basis of forgiveness. You must approach forgiveness on the basis of love. God's love for me, God's forgiveness for, of me, that's the basis upon which I either go and ask for forgiveness or I give my forgiveness to someone who asked for it, or even if they don't ask for it, I give it. Now, that's, an, that's a whole other issue. Maybe we'll get to that next week. I don't know. But listen, you don't have to wait for somebody to ask for forgiveness. You can just extend it. It will help your mental health. But now watch it what happens. Three things here and, and that I'm going to give you up front before I delve in, beginning in verse 10. Look at what he does in 8 and 9. He comes in verse 9. He says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Do you see that? I appeal. Uh, the word there, appeal, in the, uh, in the Greek is parakaleo. Now, if anybody here is ever going to do a PhD in theology, here is your dissertation. Just go through and look at how differently the word parakaleo is used through the New Testament. In the, in the noun, it is the paraclete, which is the name of the Holy Spirit. In the verb, parakaleo means to beseech or encourage or to urge or to appeal as, as it's translated here. He comes, and the word para, a parallel, alongside, to call alongside, Paul is calling Philemon alongside. It's as if he's putting his arm around him and saying, now listen, Philemon, I appeal to you. I'm urging you. I beseech you. I'm encouraging you to do the right thing. That is the way you go about it. It's an appeal. It is not a demand. Secondly, he gives up uh, in this, he gives up his rights. Do you realize you're free to give your rights up? You, you don't have to demand your rights. Paul talks about this all through 1 Corinthians. You, you don't have to demand your rights. You're free. You're set free. You're free in Christ to give up your rights. And Paul comes in this, and listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, Since I'm a, such a person as Paul the agent, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's making a play now on Onesimus. Onesimus had been the slave. But now Paul says, I'm the guy that's in chains. And if you listen to the text, you can almost hear the great old apostle lift up his arms and shake those chains and say, Rome thinks I'm their prisoner, but I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, these are the chains of Christ. He's got me right here in this prison because he wants me here for the sake of the gospel. I just love it. Y'all just sit there. But I just love that. That whole concept, I'm not Rome's prisoner. I'm the prisoner of Christ. I'm speaking to you, Philemon. You owned Onesimus as a slave. I'm speaking to you. I'm the guy that's in chains. <laughs> you know, now watch, he calls himself Paul. Such a one as I, Paul the aged. Now what does he mean by that? Simply this, Philemon, I've lived a long time and I've lived long enough that I've got a lot of stuff uh, I could be bitter about. Do you remember Paul talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all that litany that he goes through? He says, well, are, are they Hebrews? Well, I am too. Are they Israelites? Well, I am too. 
Are they descendants of Abraham, sons of Abraham? Well, I am too. Are they servants of Christ? I'm more than all of them, but I, I speak as if I'm insane. Listen to what he says. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger thirst, often without food, cold, exposure, and apart from all of these external things, there's the daily pressure on me of the concern of all the church. He says, after all the stuff I've been through, then I got to put up what goes on in the church. He says, I've got a lot I could be bitter about. I've got a lot I could be resentful about. I've got a lot I could be mad about. But he says, I'm old enough to understand that's foolishness. And I have forgiven. And he says, the reason, if you go on and watch Paul, Paul's going to say, Paul, me, the least of the apostles, the chief of sinners. He says, the reason it's been so easy for me to forgive is because I've had less to forgive than I've needed to be forgiven of. Everybody needs to raise their hand and say, that's me. That's me right there. I have need of greater forgiveness than I ever need to forgive of someone else. And so Paul comes in this, and this is what he's saying in Philemon. He comes to Philemon there, and he says, listen, this is who I am. I am old. <laughs> Here I am. I'm old, and I am in chains, and I'm appealing to you. And he's saying this to Philemon, and he's saying this to us. He's saying this, you can choose to follow the biblical steps to forgiveness over the emotional hurts of life. You can choose that. You have the ability to choose to follow the biblical steps of forgiveness rather than wallow in the emotional hurts of life. And I want you to see how he's going to put this. He's going to put it in two ways. Let me just show you two things out of the text. Number one, that's going to involve uh, relationally a restoration, a putting back together a broken relationship. Now, let me begin in verse 10. I appeal to you for my former child, Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment. Now, that's just an incredible verse right there. It tells me this. Now, listen to what he's saying. This, this guy, we gave birth to him here in prison. What he doesn't mean physical birth. He means the second birth, spiritual birth. He was born again in prison. Now, think about this. Onesimus ran away from Philemon in Colossae. He goes out of Asia Minor. He crosses over into Europe. And from Europe, he goes over across from there into Italy. And he gets to Rome, the great city of Rome. Uh, the imperial capital of the ancient world. He gets there, he's stolen money, so he's changed his clothes, he's dyed his hair, he's, you know, got the different hairstyle, he looks different, he is different, he's got the money that he needs because he's stolen it from Philemon to live a different life. He just thinks all of his life, if I could just get free, if I could just get free, I'd be the happiest man in the world. If I could just get free of 
parents, if I could just get free of church, if I could just get free of uh, Christianity, if I could just get free of any kind of restraints, I'd be the happiest man in the world. You would discover a greater bondage than you've ever experienced before. He is so miserable in what he thought was going to be the answer for his life. He is so miserable in that freedom that he hunts down Paul and he goes personally into a Roman dungeon to sit in prison locked up with Paul because there's greater freedom in Jesus Christ in prison than there is any kind of freedom without Christ outside. And so Paul says, listen, we led him to the Lord right here. He came to Jesus Christ right here in this prison, sitting here in this place, because he was so miserable. There was no freedom in what he did. There's only freedom in Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, just sit there, y'all, okay? Now, that's what he does. He begins that way. He makes this appeal. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment. And now what he's going to do is this. He's going to, he's going to do two things here that I want to do. And I'm going to explain them to you up front. He's going to talk about how you go and approach someone when you are asking for forgiveness. I've got somebody I really need to go before. I need to get before them, and I need to ask them to forgive me. And then there's going to be the other side. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three things on that. Then I'm going to give you three things on the other side. Now, y'all, are you listening to me? Or are you just looking up here with your eyes open? Uh, look, listen. Then I'm going to give you three things on the other side of that. How do I express forgiveness or how do I understand forgiveness? When somebody approaches me for forgiveness, how do I understand it? So let me begin on this side. How do I go and approach someone that I need to ask forgiveness of? Well, number one, you need to go with this whole spirit of repentance. There needs to be a genuine spirit of repentance when you go to ask someone to forgive you. Now, Paul says, verse 12, I'm going to send him back in person. Now, when he uses that phrase, in person, what he is saying is this. He is coming there, and he's coming to you in a spirit of repentance. He could have just called. Hey, let me just call and just tell you. I just, I just call. I'm going to leave it on the voicemail. I'm going to call until I get their voicemail, and I'll just say, hey, I'm sorry. I just want you to know I'm sorry about all this. Bye. Or, or he could have sent him a text message, or he could have sent him an email. He's not going to do it. He's going to show up in person. Because, listen, because there is a genuine spirit of repentance in Onesimus' life. It's what you do. It's not what you say. I, I, I love it when we, when we go, well, I don't love it, but it's always interesting how when you get, you know, a politician has been caught with somebody or you've got a famous televangelist who's been caught with somebody and they get on television and they get up there and they say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm this, I'm that and the other. And then we go back to Fox News or to CNN and they're, they're on Fox or CNN. They start parsing. The whole, re well, he used the word repentance here or forgiveness here. And I really wonder what he means by the word forgiveness when he is. And they go through this whole long, listen, it's not what you say. It's what you do. He's going in person. He's not just saying something. He's going to show something, do something. 
Now, let me just back that up with a little bit of scripture. Put your finger in Philemon and go with me to Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is preaching. He, this guy just shows up out in the wilderness and he starts to preach and the crowds start to show up. They begin to come and to hear him preach. So they began to say, saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized, this is John the Baptist now, speaking to the crowds who go out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, what if I did that with y'all when I baptized somebody? What if in a, instead of turning around saying, and yet there's water, you know, what hinders you from being baptized? I just turned around and looked at you and said, you brood of vipers. Y'all just running from judgment is what you're doing. Well, it's not a good way to grow a church, but John the Baptist did it. Maybe I ought to try it sometime. Verse 8, look at what he says. Therefore, now this is what I want you to see. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Look over to Matthew chapter 3 because he's doing the same thing there, but you get a little you get a little clarity on who's showing up. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the religious leaders now are coming down there for baptism. When he sees them coming, that's who he's talking to, not the crowds. He's talking to the religious leaders. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, if you're serious about this, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, church, this, this whole thing is not so much what you say, it's what you do. The fruit of repentance here, and I come back, he's coming to stand there. Like I said, no phone call, no text message, no email. He comes to stand before them and to give them an explanation of what's going on in person. There is this genuine spirit of repentance. Number two, he comes back transformed. He's different. He's changed. Look at verse 11. That's what verse 11 is telling me. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Do you know what Onesimus means? Anybody here have a clue what the name, what the noun Onesimus means? Useful. You good Bible students. Useful, fruitful, profitable. Profitable. Now listen, let me use that right here because you're going to catch the play on words that Paul is making. I appeal to you for my child, useful, whom I've begotten in my, my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. There's been a change in his life. There's been a transformation here. This guy who was called useful was nothing but useless. And he proved it by running away, by stealing. Well, how did the transformation take place? Well, I've shared with you that I think when Paul wrote Colossians, which is where Philemon lived, the church was in Philemon's house. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. That when he wrote Colossians, he also wrote uh, this little letter to Philemon, knowing that both of them would be read in the church. And I want you to listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3 about slaves. Onesimus was there. I don't know if Paul was using an amanuensis, that is a, uh, a stenographer or a, a secretary, and the secretary, or if Paul was actually writing this out, 
I, if he was writing it out, I wonder if he was not speaking this. You know how you write a letter and you kind of speak it out? He says, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, but those who merely please men, uh, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, I, I can't get into this whole social issue of slavery here. I've already shared with you that one-third, every third person in the Roman Empire was a slave. It was as much a part of life as putting on a toga, I guess. And so he writes, he's not, he's not trying to settle the injustice of slavery. He's speaking to a person who is a slave who's now come to Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Listen, that man doesn't own you. You are now the property of Jesus Christ. And he comes saying, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You're not working for that master. You're working for that master, you see. I am certain that Onesimus heard that. And I am certain that Onesimus came under conviction that what I've done is wrong. You say, when a preacher isn't slavery wrong? yes. That's not, you, folks, I can't get into that. I'm going to show you in a moment how Paul begins to chop away at the foundation of slavery here. People say, well, the New Testament says nothing about slavery. Well, they don't know anything else about the New Testament either. He comes and he very clearly begins to eat away the foundation of slavery. But you have to wait just a minute because I'm just dealing with this guy now who has broken the law and who has broken the law several different ways. And so he comes now, and there under conviction, he's got to go back because he is now the property of Jesus Christ. I'm transformed. When I go before somebody, I go before them to ask for forgiveness in a genuine spirit of repentance and genuinely showing Christ is beginning to make a difference in my life. Now, I'm not where I should be, but there is the sanctifying work of God. I'm under conviction. I'm showing God's working in my life. There's a transformation taking place. Now, let me give you the third thing. The third thing is this, rebuilding trust. He comes in verses 12 through 14, and look at what he says. He says, I've sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. Paul says, I'm sending you my heart. This is how much I love this guy whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister me in my imprisonment for the God. He says, you can't imagine all that this guy has done. He has, he has ministered to me. He's helped me. He has been a part of what God is doing in me and through me here. He says, but without your consent, verse 14, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would uh, not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. He said, I didn't have your permission to keep him, so I sent him back. I told him, I said, hey, you're free to go back. You can walk out this, this dungeon. You go wherever you want to, uh, but the thing you should do is go back. And that's exactly what Onesimus does. And uh, Paul writes and he says, listen, I, I, didn't have, I didn't have the right to keep him here, though I wanted to keep him here. He's coming back, and he's coming back because he has, he has built trust and relationship with me. He's coming back, Philemon, to rebuild trust and relationship with you. That's what you're doing in forgiveness. 
is you're rebuilding that, uh, that trust. Listen, when Jesus Christ died for us and we come and we receive that free gift of forgiveness and salvation for Jesus Christ, the New Testament tells us at that point what happens is this. There is reconciliation between God, a holy God, and sinful me. There is this restoration, this relationship is put back together. So now I can talk to the Father, and the Father hears me, and the Father will speak to my heart through his word. He says he's coming back. Now, listen, let me, let me just say this. If you're coming back to somebody in repentance, and you're coming to them, and you, you come and you approach them, and you say, I'm asking you to forgive me, and there is, there are, listen, I'm asking you to forgive me, and if you forgive me, you will not in any way hold any, me to any kind of account. You're not, you're not looking for forgiveness. You're looking for a pass. You're looking to be absolved. When you come in forgiveness, you come, listen, that's not the way you come. You come in forgiveness. You don't come demanding that they not hold you accountable to what you need to do. In your part, you need to make restitution. If you can, it, listen, is that not what Zacchaeus told Jesus? Jesus didn't even have to say anything to him. He just went home to eat with him. And listen, Zacchaeus looks and he says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give it back to them four times as much. When genuine, when your heart beats with a genuine longing for forgiveness, you want to make things right. You don't come in giving all these demands. Well, I'm coming, but I don't expect you. Listen, I don't expect you in any kind of way to ever hold me responsible for what I did. Now, that's on your part. Now, let me flip to the other side. Paul nowhere in this passage looks at Philemon and says, Philemon, you keep him at arm's length until he proves himself to you. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm expecting you to take him back. That's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting you to forgive him. Now, listen, let me tell you, there's not a single one of us sitting in this room right now that uh, we've never had the need to go and ask somebody to forgive us. Sometimes we've gone and we've asked for forgiveness in a very haughty way. Well, I'm coming to apologize if you'll do this, that, and the other. That's not an apology. I'm coming to apologize. I'm sorry for what I've done. All of us, all of us stand in need. Listen, if you, and if you don't give forgiveness, on the flip side of that, you burn the bridge over which you must pass one day. All of us know what it is to stand in need of somebody to open their arms as a sign of opening their heart and receiving us back. And saying, I'll forgive you. Is that not what Jesus Christ has done for you? Is that not what Jesus Christ has done for us? That we came to him and he meet. Listen, before we ever came to him, the word of God says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
He's longing for us to come to him. He's longing for us to ask his forgiveness because he's longing to lavish us with his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. Now, by the way, that's our example. Now, in the last little bit of time I've got, let me come to the other side of this. And the other side of this is we're sitting there, we're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, I got some questions about this. Now, let me just tell you, I can't go over everything. I, I've got four minutes left, and I've, I'm not through the first point. I'm going to give you the second point uh, before we get out of here. But listen, we, 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 if, if all we do is keep throwing up question after question, I can't answer everything. Not in the short amount of time I've got. I'm just giving you some principles where to live by. Number one, understand the difference between forgiving and enabling. Well, if I forgive them, I'm just enabling them. No, you're not. There's a difference between the two. There's a difference there. Listen, I've got a mate who has, who has lied to me, deceived me, been unfaithful to me, and they come back and in genuine repentance and in a broken heart, they ask me to forgive them. Yes, I should forgive them. And you say, well, all you're doing is enabling them to sin. No, I'm not. Don't confuse the two. There should be some parameters put up. There should be some guardrails put up. But when they come to you and they ask your forgiveness, you should forgive them. You say, well, it's not that easy. You telling me? I know. Number two, the second thing is this. Forgiving someone is not to be confused with rescuing someone. Now, let me just give you another little example. You, you've got one of your teenagers come to you, and they say, Daddy, I, I need a pair of Air Jordans. How much are they? $300. No way. No way. Not going to happen. But, Daddy, I need a pair. Everybody in the Southeast is wearing them, but me, I'm the only one. I stand out among all the millions in the Southeast. I don't have a pair of Air Jordans. Well, you're just going to have to stand out. You'll be noticed then, right? Everybody will notice you at that point. That's what you want. Anyway, well, I want to fit in with everybody. I've got to have me a pair of Air Jordans. And listen, you just said, no, I can't do that. Now, that kid's got $150. He's cut grass. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, you go into that cookie jar where you've kept some money, and you notice about $150 is gone. And you go and you look in a book bag, and what they've been doing is they put the new Air Jordans in a book bag, wearing those old ratty Nikes out the house, changing them on the way to school. And you go in, you pull out, you pull out the receipt you've got there, and you say, look, look what I found in your book bag, and I'm missing $150. Now that child begins to cry, tears well up in their eyes. And they begin to cry, and you, you know, and they say, I'm, and they're genuinely broken. I'm sorry. I, I, really, I know. I realize I was trying to figure a way to tell you, and uh, I didn't know how to tell you, but I really, I, I really needed them. I needed them so badly. And um, I, I'm, I'm just so sorry, and Daddy, I'll never do that again. Will you forgive me? Now, what do you do? Well, you say, son, I'm going to forgive you, or sweetie, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you to the point to where I'm going to help you get a job and make $150 and pay me back. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we're not supposed to do that, are we? Uh, yes, in some cases, you know, you, you do need to help them make restitution. You know, the Word of God tells me I'm to pay my bills. I'm to pay what I owe. 
And sometimes you have to go and help them. But other times, depending on the circumstances, I had to help a child this week. My child this week. Her child. I had to help her child this week. (laughs) But I forgave him. And I'm mentally better off because of it. I can promise you that. So, listen, sometimes you have to. But do you forgive them? Yes. But don't think that forgiving is the same thing as rescuing from responsibility. Number three, the third thing is this, forgiving and the issue of good judgment. Now, I don't have time. My time's gone. But listen, let me tell you, forgiveness doesn't mean I suspend good judgment. It means I can forgive the person but have enough good judgment to where I don't do that again. In all of that, in the asking for forgiveness, in the giving of forgiveness, we are to be people who are about restoring relationship. Now, can I show you one last thing? Sure, because I'm up here already. Um, I want, you, I want you just to look at this last thing. And the last thing is this. It's the second thing. It's, it's the transformation. It's the godly transformation that takes place. Not just in the one who's asking for forgiveness, but in the one who's also doing the forgiving. Paul comes in verse 15 and watch this. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you. Now I'm going to be technical for just a moment. That word separated right there, echoriste, in the Greek, echoriste is in the aorist passive indicative. The aorist means it's in the past. The passive voice is what I want you to see. It means, the passive voice in Greek means this, that it is someone other than the subject that is doing the acting. In other words, somebody out here is doing the acting on the subject. Paul is saying that in this situation, God is acting on all of this. It's called a divine passive. He says, listen, how do you know that in his running away and his stealing from you, God has not overridden this situation? My God can overwhelm, override, and overcome anything regardless of what it is any sin that's why paul comes and he says in romans chapter 8 listen god causes all things to work together for good it doesn't say god causes all things to happen god didn't cause onesimus to run away god didn't cause onesimus to steal But in this, as Onesimus comes and he bows his heart before Christ, our God is so great and so sovereign that he takes that and he turns it upside down on its head and it becomes the very thing that God will use to bring Philemon and Onesimus together. Jiminy Cricket. That's the word of God. That's what God does in forgiveness. It's called transformation. It changes his life. He says, no longer, you're going to take him back. Verse 16, now now Paul begins to eat away at the whole institution of slavery. No longer as a slave. See, he's going to do away with this whole thing. It's the transformation of relationships. It's not the marching in the street or the passing of a law. It's the changing of a heart. 
He comes and he says, you, you take him back no longer as a slave, more than a slave, a beloved brother. Now, which would you rather have? Somebody that works for you, that you own, that you dominate, who resents you and hates you and despises you and they have no freedom? Or would you rather have a brother who works with you? who loves you and cares for you. He says, that's what I'm sending back. He said, I'm not sending back a slave to you. I'm sending back a brother to you, especially to me. But how much more to you? Are you looking at it? Verse 16, both in the flesh. He says, he's more to you than he is to me. He says, because in the flesh, you own him. You see that? In the flesh, he means there, you own him. He says, and in the Lord, he says, Ones he says, Philemon, and the Lord owns you. Now what you going to do? Now what you going to do? You might own him, but don't you forget, Philemon, God owns you. And he, then he comes with this great, he says, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. If he has wronged you in any way, owes you anything, Onesimus, you stole from him, Philemon, does he owe you back? Just put it on my bill. Is that not what Jesus did with you? All your sin. He looks at the Father and he says, Father, put it on my account. Put it on my account. Transformation. Is it real? Kathy was in 1965, was a junior in high school, and Steve, her younger brother, was a freshman. They'd grown up without a dad. Their dad had been killed. It was how he was killed that is so unusual. This was Kathy and Steve Saint, the daughter and the son of Nate Saint, who stood that day with Jim Elliott and three other missionaries in that little river when the Aka Indians came out and speared them to death. Their dad had been killed by those Aka Indians whom their dad had gone to share Jesus Christ with. And there in high school, they both came to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They wanted to be baptized, but here was the unusual thing. They wanted to be baptized in the river where their dad was killed. They took off. They flew back down into Ecuador. Now, in the meantime, folks, the Aka Indians had come to Jesus Christ. Out of that very thing that had happened to their dad, God used that horrible event to win those Alka Indians to Christ. In fact, their aunt, Marge, was a translator uh, for Navigator, was down there with the Alka Indians translating uh, a Bible into their language. She set everything up. They got to Ecuador. They traveled through the jungle. They got out to the edge of the river where their dad had died, where those five missionaries crawled back up and bled out on that, on that uh, little, little area there by the river, that river bank there. They spent the night there. The next morning, the Alka Indians came down to the river. There were Alka Indians that were going to be baptized that had come to Christ. There were now Alka Indians who were now preachers. <laughs> they had become pastors. And they were coming down there to baptize not just their own people, but to baptize Kathy and Steve Saint. Two Indians in particular stepped into the river that day to baptize Kathy and Steve. 
They were the exact two Indians who had speared and killed their father. And one of those Alka Indians that day prayed this prayer. Father God, the last time we came here, we did a thing that was not pleasing to you. But today, what we did here, we know was pleasing to you. Transformation through forgiveness. You ought to give it a shot. Let's stand. I just appeal to you to come today that if you're here this morning and you've never received that wonderful forgiveness from Jesus Christ, I invite you to come. Give your heart and your life to him. Others of you here this morning, you've trusted Christ years ago, but there's some unforgiveness there. I want to tell you something. It's difficult, difficult, difficult to live the Christian life and harbor unforgiveness in your heart. You do the work this morning that the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart to do. You come right now. Father, in these moments, we give this invitation to you. And we do it in Jesus' name. You come as God's. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.